Michael Jordan, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Walt Disney. You might be surprised what links these four people. They were all told early in their career that they would never be leaders in their desired fields. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team, being told his height and mediocre talent would hinder his ability to lead. Steven Spielberg applied twice to the USC School of Cinematic Arts and was twice declined. Oprah Winfrey was fired from her TV station because she was too emotionally invested in people and stories and was told, quote, she was unfit for television. And Walt Disney, while working for the Kansas City Star, was told by his editor he lacked good ideas and lacked imagination. Well, we know how these stories played out. Michael Jordan would play 15 seasons in the NBA. He would go to six NBA championships, and he'd use his leadership for athletes both on and off the court. Steven Spielberg has directed 32 movies, won four Oscars, 11 Emmys, and has his name now on a building, guess where? The USC School of Cinematic Arts. Oprah Winfrey, following her firing, landed a local TV show for eight years and then would go national for 25 years, providing her a platform of leadership, both in movies and television print media. As for Walt Disney, he left Kansas City, moved to California. He and his brother launched Disney Brothers Studio, named a mouse Mickey. The rest is history. He became a leader in the entertainment and theme park industry. You see, leadership is not something that's given to you, and likewise, leadership is not something that can be taken from you. We're all born leaders. God has created you to lead. And we see this from the very beginning. Adam was created, and almost immediately, he was called to exercise leadership. With so many other countless people to follow, including Esther and Gideon, Rahab, Joseph, Abraham, James, Peter, Paul, and Mary, people created by God to lead. And this summer we find Moses and why he's joined this list. You know who's also on this list of great leaders? You. You watching this weekend is part of your DNA. It's part of who you are instilled in you by your creator. So today we're going to use the life of Moses, and I want to share with you 10 leadership principles, or dare I say 10 leadership commandments for how to lead with godly leadership. Now I know some of you are thinking, 10, wow, this is going to go longer than a Pastor Bob sermon, but it's not. We're going to fly, we're going to bounce around, and it all begins with the first leadership commandment. It's not the most important. It's not the most important, but it is the most critical as a starting point for this conversation. Number one is leadership begins where you are because leadership is influence. Leadership begins right where you are because leadership at its essence is influence. God has instilled leadership in you and you are exercising that leadership through influence both both intentional and subconscious all the time. Leadership consultant Chris Lowney says it this way, everyone is a leader and everyone is leading all the time, sometimes in immediate, dramatic, and obvious ways, but more often in subtle, hard-to-measure ways, but leading nonetheless. John Maxwell, leadership expert, says it this way. He says, everyone is a leader. Why? Because everyone influences someone. Now, sure, 
Your leadership may fluctuate over the course of time, but you are a leader throughout. And if you're still not convinced, consider this. The best example in leadership is God. And Genesis 1.27 reminds us that God created man in his own image, in the image of God. So if God is a leader and if God exercises influence and you're created in his image, then you too are a leader and you too can exercise influence. So wherever you are watching today, it's critical from this onset that you accept, you adopt, that you are a leader right here, right now, right where you are. To the teachers and school counselors and administrators, you are leaders. You have influence. To the bus drivers and city and county workers, you are leaders and you have influence. To the couple that's been quarantined at home since March, you too are leaders and you have influence to the farmers in Skagit County that might only have one or two other employees working alongside you, you are leaders, you have influence. To the high school senior getting set and preparing for college next year, you are a leader, you have influence. To the bank tellers, attorneys, real estate agents, landscapers, electricians, firefighters, business owners, and stay-at-home moms, your leaders, you have influence. Influence. And once you realize that godly leadership begins with you and where you are, it's important to know number two that leadership isn't about you. Okay, so I'm two in and it seems like I'm already contradicting myself. But let me explain. It's true. Leader, the person, is part of leadership, the action. But as leaders, God has provided us this beautiful blueprint of successful leadership. We pray first, we seek wisdom from God, we gather insight from others, we pray again, and when we possess the peace of God that passes all understanding, we boldly are decisive. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Did you catch that? It's on us to commit to the Lord, and then he will establish the plan. When our leadership needs assistance, God is there to help us. Great leaders understand that leadership is not about themselves. And when we lead with that posture of God-inspired leadership, the results, the credit, the accolades, and the criticism aren't about or for us. Leadership that isn't about you by default keeps others in mind above yourself. Paul would write that to the church when he would say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, or instead, in humility, value others above yourselves. Think about the best leaders you've served with. They were likely highly collaborative valued a team win over an individual one. This is the kind of leadership that God intends for us. Maybe you've ever complimented or commented to uh, one of our pastors on a sermon. You, you heard the sermon, you said it was so great, that was so impactful, and then our response to you was something like, yeah, 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 we thought so too. Ugh, that even sounds gross saying it. We would never say that. Our posture as pastors is simply, if any message is any good ever, it is God. 
simply and completely. It's never about us, ever. We might be the voice, but the words, the inspiration, that's God. We may be blessed with a position of leadership, but make no mistake, God is our leader. Additionally, leadership that isn't about you considers the bigger picture. Because we, by default, are very selfish people. Yeah, I said it. More often than not, we want what we want when we want it. And it's difficult for us to see beyond what's right in front of us. We can't see the forest for the trees. But as God entrusts us to care for other people, it means we have to think bigger, well beyond ourselves. In 2015, the musical Hamilton debuted on Broadway. The show centers around the life story of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers of the United States and his journey to becoming George Washington's right-hand man. Now for me, this is one of the most pivotal moments that showcases selfless leadership. George Washington here brings Alexander Hamilton here into his office to inform him that Thomas Jefferson is stepping down in order to run for president. Hamilton assures Washington that he will help defeat the now political rival, but Washington says, having served two terms, that he too was going to step down. He was not going to run for president. Hamilton is beyond shocked. And in the song that follows here called One Last Time, Washington asked Hamilton to draft a farewell address, one that would become infamous because of its selfless themes. It was believed that Washington could have easily won re-election, but he said, I'm going to step down. Running, not running, is what's best for the country, for what we need. You know, thousands of years prior to this moment, Moses also understood humility. In fact, it was recorded in Numbers. We see now Moses was a very humble man. How humble? More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. He wins the humility award. Moses understood that leadership was not about him. In fact, Moses repeatedly insists to God he is not well-suited to lead. And some suggest Moses' failure to recognize his own greatness is precisely what made him so great. Leadership is not about any one of us. It's about others and leading others well. GLS alum Simon Sinek says this, we all have the luxury of looking out for ourselves. Leaders have the honor of looking out for others. C.S. Lewis would say this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's important to realize leadership is not about you. Leadership commandment number three, leaders rely on God. Leaders rely on God. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I, God, will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I remember growing up, someone once telling me that a reliance on God makes one weak. Those in relationship with Christ, we know it's precisely the opposite. But this, however, goes against the grain of our culture because our culture says you can do it on your own. The blood, sweat, and tears you put in is what you will get out. But what happens when your plan goes sideways? 
when the employees leave the company, when the revenue takes a dive, it's then when our leadership, our reliance on God allows us to swim and not sink. How does that verse go? I can do all things through a balanced budget. That's not it. I can do all things through a synergized staff. No. I can do all things through a vision to take our company from here to here. That's not it either. That leadership is all about you and your abilities. And guys, that's dangerous leadership. Leadership that's based on a reliance of God allows you to fulfill Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Moses got a firsthand experience with this beautiful reliance on God. We see this here in Scripture. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites, and tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. If you love stories, this is an incredible story. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And more than that, Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And all of this, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This is more than just teamwork and fancy choreography. Moses and Joshua, they enjoyed this victory. The victory was not theirs. God was integral to their victory. They had to rely on God. Be honest with yourself. Does your leadership rely on you and your great ideas and your big initiatives and your creativity and your planning and your bottom line? Or is your leadership based on a reliance on God? This moment wouldn't have happened without a pure 100% all-in reliance on God. Check your balance. John 3.30 reminds us simply this. He must become greater. I must become less. Leadership means we must rely on God. Okay. Number four, leaders need advice from allies. We need advice from allies. Now, to borrow a a phrase from Robert De Niro in Meet the Parents, leaders need a circle of trust, okay? These are fellow Christ followers that dive into the mess with you, willing to give you honest transparency, hard truth, and perspective, all with God's values and your best in mind. Now, Moses had this in Jethro, who was his father-in-law through marriage and his mentor by choice. And we see this amazing moment where Jethro is counseling Moses, offering advice as an ally in Exodus 18. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Very matter-of-fact. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I'll give you some advice. And may God be with you. He goes on. Teach them his decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live, 
and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Okay, the way that Moses was operating was not detrimental. It wasn't dishonoring to God. This all is a detailed description that boils down to an ally of his offering advice, a different perspective, and allowing Moses to better up his leadership. And what was the result? We see this. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He listened, did everything he said. It's important to understand no matter how accomplished you are, how best your plans are laid out, that someone else may be able to come along and help you out. Everyone needs a mentor or discipleship or a partner to better their leadership. Now, I have a Jethro in my life. He goes by the name of Scott. This is Pastor Scott Moon. Now, several years ago, we made a pact to be allies for one another in the good and the bad, in the victory and in the defeat. We made a commitment to live out Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man will sh uh, sharpen another. I can come to Scott with anything, like, anything. And I know his response will be a combination of a godly perspective and my best in mind. I know Scott will be honest with his counsel. And I am a better leader because Scott calls me up and when needed, he calls me out. So what about you? Who's your Jethro? Who's in your circle of trust? Who are your advice allies, the ones that can ask you the big questions knowing their counsel will better your leadership. That's number four. Number five, leadership looks to who is next. Leadership looks to who's next. Even the greatest of our leaders have a shelf life. So looking to who's next becomes a critical piece in the leadership puzzle. Our world will call it mentorship, the church will call it discipleship, but in either case, the definition is the same. It's simply the action of identifying and intentionally pouring into the person God has led you to write the next chapter in the story. We see this principle all throughout the Bible. Eli would mentor Samuel, Samuel would mentor Saul and David, David would mentor Solomon, Solomon would mentor Queen of Sheba, Elijah would mentor Elisha, Daniel would mentor Nebuchadnezzar, Mordecai would mentor uh, Esther, Esther would mentor King Artaxerxes, Jesus would mentor 12 and they would establish the Christian church and among them would be Paul and Paul would mentor Titus and Timothy and many others and as we read earlier, Jethro would mentor Moses and Moses experiencing firsthand about the idea of looking to see who's next, he would value discipleship so much that he would mentor Joshua. Deuteronomy plays it out for us, this epic moment. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. 
I am now 120 years old. I'm no longer able to lead you. Yeah, it's retirement time. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. But then there's more. He says all of that to the people, but then Moses' leadership looks to who's next. Moses knew it was time for him to step out of leadership, to step down, and so he presented Joshua to the people. Check it out. Then, remember, he's talked to all the people. Then Moses summoned Joshua. Joshua, come on up here. He said to them, in the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He goes on, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Note the be strong and courageous The same words the Lord would use in Joshua 1, reminding Joshua he was not alone, that that God was with him for the next chapter, the next assignment. Once again, Moses here exemplifies why he's a leader among leaders. Because his leadership is not about him, because his leadership relies on God for guidance, he's able to pass the torch well. As if to say, I've run the ball down the field as far as I can, it's your turn. Now, this can happen today if we as leaders will lead the way. Because even the best company executive, even the most creative marketing manager, even the most brilliant football coach at some point will not be the best, will not be the most creative, and will not be the most brilliant. So our job is to keep our eyes wide open for who's next. Who does God have standing in the wings Who is he preparing for the right time to entrust what has been under your leadership? There's a time and a season for all things. So we are kidding ourselves if we think we get to outlast the leading of where we are. God created us to lead for a time. And when this is our heart's posture and motive, we get to live out, be living examples of what Paul would write to the believers at the church at Philippi. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever you've been seeing that's good, take it, do it. One more side note. This idea of looking to who's next is not exclusive to the business community. While we may not fully understand the next generation's latest catchphrase, their internet dances, or their fashion trends, they are who's next. And you may be surprised by this, but they no longer have that leave us alone mentality. Now more than ever, today's young adults are very interested in learning from and interacting with and forming bonds with the previous generation. You know, I have an amazing privilege of hanging out with several high schoolers every single week. And don't tell the pastors, but they're my favorite hours of the week. Leaders, God has given you a story. 
Give of your time. Share that story with the next generation. Discover what it is they want to know. Discover what you can learn from them. Leaders, look to who's next. Take them out to coffee this week. Okay, we're halfway there. The sixth leadership commandment we learn from Moses is this. Leadership can seem daunting, but try anyway. Leadership can seem daunting, but try anyway. Back in 2015, I was scheduled to attend a Christian music conference in Orlando. And included as part of the conference was an option to run a 5K around Disney World. (laughs) Yeah! Now, I've covered this before, but let me do this as a refresher. I am not a long-distance runner. These short legs can sprint till the cows come home, and I'll beat the cows home because I'm that fast. But put me out on a long-distance race, and I'll likely need to call in life flight. One more thing. All you runners out there, just put away your judgment just for the next two minutes. Okay. I'm not sure how, but I got talked into signing up for this 5K. And now that that happened, I was all in. I was fully committed. I I started researching, training for a 5K. I made an exercise plan. I went to a local running store, and I bought shoes. So I've never bought shoes expensive as these in my life. The salesperson assured me these shoes would help me glide across the finish line. Over the next weeks, the momentum was building. Everyone was rooting for me. My employees, my, my staff, my listeners, my family telling me I was leading by example by trying something new. The night before the race, I laid out my my brand new running shoes and my racing bib and my sunglasses, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. This voice in my head that said, are you crazy? What are you thinking? Everyone will be there tomorrow. Your friends, your coworkers, your staff. This will be all over social media. You've never run a 5K. You have no business running a 5K. The next morning, 5 a.m., my alarm goes off and I hit snooze and just laid there. Ten minutes goes by, the alarm goes off again. I hit snooze one more time. This time I sat up just enough to see my bib and my shoes across the hotel room, and I hit snooze one more time. Ten minutes later, I I gave in. Well, actually, I, I gave up. I didn't run the race around Disney World. I regret this to this day. But grace allows me to realize that leaders make mistakes. I mean, I'm in good company with Moses on that. But it's what we do next that matters. Not every leader will face an antagonizer like Pharaoh, but every leader will face opposition. You see, there are going to be moments where your leadership will seem daunting. And if I could do it again, I would run that race. Who knows how it would go, but we're called to try and leave the results to God. You see, if leadership and leading wasn't daunting, we wouldn't need faith, but it is. It's a constant gut check that says, can you and should you? And in those moments in real time, you get to decide, will you engage God's promised help and his strength and his power or not? 
If Moses were standing here, he would attest to this principle. It's not easy facing daunting leadership. Remember this interchange between God and Moses when he was first called? It went something like this. Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the Israelites, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And the response was, Moses said back, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says back this. He says, and God said, I will be with you. But Moses said back, Moses said, suppose I go and the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God has a response. I am who I am. Guess what? Moses had something to say. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant. One more thing. Lord, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord responds, now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. And Moses says back, nothing. He responds with action. He responds with action. He didn't hit the snooze button. He faced the daunting call to leadership head on. And the result, we know. It says this, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses and they believed. And this wouldn't be the last time his leadership would seem daunting. I mean, think back. He's coming face to face with Pharaoh, demanding his people, let my people go. Moses would rely on God, God's calling and his promise to be with him. How about this moment at the Red Sea as he leads the Israelites and he faces the expansion of the Red Sea and Moses would need to rely once again on God, God's calling and his promise to be with him. This is a daunting leadership moment. You see, leading where you are right now might be easy, but more likely than not, it's not. COVID-19 has brought a myriad of challenges, some more daunting than others. God is with you. Lead through it. Don't let the race pass you by. Number seven, Leadership requires learning. In other words, be a student. This is really an extension of number six. When we're willing to try, we're basically saying we're willing to learn. And learning helps us grow as a leader. God in his omniscience, his ultimate knowledge, wants to teach those who want to learn. I mean, just imagine if God was a featured speaker at the Global Leadership Summit next year or asked to do a TED Talk. I mean, if you think Craig Rochelle and Patrick Lencioni are good, we would be blown away by what God would have to say over 40 minutes. You see, to be a leader is to be a learner. Jesus valued this principle in the New Testament. He was asked 183 questions. He answered three. And Jesus asked back more answers, more questions than not. 307 questions to questions. Jesus' leadership was a desire to teach those willing to become students. He valued questions. And like a great teacher, Jesus came to encourage us to think. So be a student. Be open to learning and grow in a new way. Okay, we're flying. Number eight, leadership reminds us that others are watching. We're going to camp here because it's important. In your mind, do me a favor. Picture a piece of paper, and in the center of that paper, a circle. In that circle, the word you representing, guess who, you. Okay, 
Then another circle, and that represents your family. The next circle represents your neighbors. And the next circle, getting bigger now, represents your friends. The next circle, your coworkers. The next one, your acquaintances, like your, your son's teacher, your daughter's coach. Finally, the last circle, all the strangers you run into on a daily basis. You know, the gas station attendant, your barista, the bagger at Hagen. Here's the issue. While the outer circle is the farthest from you, everyone in every circle has a view of you. But what do they see? Will they see you at your best or will they see you at your wit's end? Will they see you full of grace or out of patience? Titus 2, 7 reminds us this. In everything, in everything, set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness. You see, when you're a leader, you're on the clock. Leadership doesn't take a break. So what's the answer? Are we supposed to always be on, fake it till we make it? Not at all. God desires authentic Christian leadership. So accept that you'll fail. Except that you're going to mess up. You're going to blow your leadership at the most inopportune time. And this is when God's grace steps in to let you try again and again and again. God is the only perfect leader and the rest of us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can only do our best. So do your best. Others are watching you. Number nine, leadership is ageless. This commandment really speaks to both ends of the spectrum, the young people and the senior saints. First, let me address the younger end of the spectrum. Okay, focus here, just just for a minute. Yep, right up here, stop scrolling Instagram. This boomer has something to tell you. You are a leader, and you have influence. I'm talking to you college students, high school students, middle schoolers, elementary students, because be assured, someone at school is watching you. How you talk, how you act, how you treat other students and teachers, ultimately, how you lead. Leadership is not something reserved for us adults. In fact, in many ways, you have more leadership influence than we do. I mean, consider David and Jeremiah. They weren't even able to vote by the time they were called into using their leadership. Josiah was a 16th king at the age of eight. And how about that nameless boy who offered up his lunch to feed thousands? Leadership does not have a starting age. Be reminded what Paul would write to Timothy, this great encouragement. Let no one despise, or your version might say, look down upon you because of your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. How you act, what you say, what you do. Don't underestimate yourself. Set an example because your time to lead is right now. To the other end of the spectrum, to our senior saints, in case you're not aware, you will not find the word retirement in the Bible. God doesn't mention it. Jesus doesn't mention it. Neither does David, Paul, or Moses. This means you are still a leader and you still have influence with those you interact with until your final breath on earth. You have purpose. Taking a bit of liberty from Paul's encouragement, let no one write you off for your older age. But instead, set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, and in faith. 
Your neighbors are watching. Your grandkids are watching. Will they see someone with a faith still on fire or one that is beginning to dwindle? Will they see you lead well in your older, later years? Will they see leadership that considers others first and a leadership that is able and willing and wanting to learn? Perhaps they'll be the beneficiary of leadership that looks to who's next. If you're part of the Bellingham campus, you likely recognize this face. It's Alta Ruth Calkins, and Alta Ruth has a unique love of leadership. So much so that she's been to every global leadership summit that Cornwall has hosted all the way back to 2005. That's 16 years. Alta Ruth is 97. So you might be asking yourself, why would Alta Ruth continue to set, set aside two days every year to learn more about leadership? Easy. Because Alta Ruth understands that leadership begins with her, even at 97. She continues to have influence. She relies on God. She's a curious student. She knows others are watching, and she understands that leadership is ageless. Her words are this, I love GLS because I want to learn more and serve the Lord better. I know he has a purpose for me. I'm already looking forward to GLS 2021, Lord willing. At our Skagit campus, you would see ageless leadership in a man named Alex Alex is 88 years old, been married to his wife, Helen, for 45 years. Alex has been quarantined since March at his senior living home, but that has not stopped him. I send him the printed sermon notes every week. He distributes them to other residents as they watch church online. Hi, Alex. Alex is a copious note taker and a teacher, and he is actively leading right where he is because leadership and influence begins right where you are. And while leading his fellow residents, Alex also looks to who's next. In Skagit, about a month into the pandemic, we did something called the Pen Pal Project. We linked up young families with those senior saints that were homebound. Alex now has four boys that he is writing to on a regular basis. He calls it a a ministry. He even goes so far to write his letters and puts them in a giant manila envelope. He does that so so he can include a self-addressed stamped envelope so that he says all they have to do is write him back, draw a picture, pop it in the mail. He loves the connection. Leadership is ageless. Finally, number 10. And this is the most important principle. Leadership requires being a leader worth following. Being a leader worth following. Going for the jugular here at the end, because answering this question takes a hard look at yourself in the mirror. Now, Paul would give Timothy some guidelines. These are specifically intended for church leadership, but they apply to those leading others. And in this, it says this, whoever aspires to be an overseer or leader, desires a noble task. The overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, spouse, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given into drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must be able to have a good reputation with outsiders. Simply put, it's this. As you live your life, as you do this, the way you talk, the way you treat people, your daily rhythms, your relationship with God, is all of that worth following? If yes, lead on. And if no, 
Are you willing to take an honest assessment to see where your leadership is lacking? To determine where God might be calling you out and up. Because your influence, your leader, your leadership is reflective of God's influence and God's leadership. Because your leadership is a reflection, your leadership has to begin here in your heart. Proverbs says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything, your leadership, your motives, your actions, your words, what you laugh about, what you joke about, what's important to you, all of that flows from your heart. So check your heart in order to check your leadership. There are 10 leadership commandments. There are, um, there, the list is, is here. And, and some of you, like you know, the, the type A personality, overachievers, you've already turned this into a checklist. And maybe you're already working on that. For the rest of us, this might seem daunting. Okay, pick one. Pick two. Determine how you can change your leadership to God's way of leadership. And in the moments that this seems like too much, remember Paul's simple invitation. It's simply this. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Isn't that who it's all about anyway? Moses may have been the example. Jesus is the model. Jesus was the ultimate in influence. Jesus never made things about himself. He was always pointing to God and others. Jesus relied on his father constantly. We constantly see him seeking refuge and comfort and understanding from God. Their relationship is the epitome of reliance. While Jesus didn't need advice, he valued allies. He had the 12. But then there was that inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and he knew his time was limited, so he intentionally poured into who's next. It goes without saying Jesus knew he was being observed and watched all the time. So every word and every move and every action was intentional. How he spoke and how he loved and how he cared, indicative of his leadership. Arguably, there was no greater daunting task of leadership set before Jesus than his crucifixion on the cross. We, we hear his prayer and his heart in Matthew 26. Father, Dad, if it's possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but yours be done. Jesus took on daunting leadership head on. So when all else fails, follow Christ and let others follow as you do. So as Christ followers, here's the challenge. Will I rise to the leadership God has called me to? And will I act on the influence he's provided me? Will I rise to the leadership God's called me to? Will I act on the influence he's provided me? God has created you a leader, and God has given you specific influence. And so as we tackle another week, as we continue to live in the reality of COVID-19, as we approach another school year, let us adopt this posture. May we think like Moses, might we lead like Jesus.